You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. gave us the victory back in verse 7. Walk in the light. And since God is in the light and he is the light and there's no darkness in him at all, we must walk in that light. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Simple as that. We're lying. But if we walk in the light with him, we have fellowship one to another and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us. This is good news. When you give your life to Jesus, He wants you to give up your old ways of sin to follow His ways. Pastor Dave is going to show you today that Jesus didn't die for you to continue sinning like you used to before Jesus. He wants you to live a holy life, set apart from the world, focused on knowing Him more each day. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Divine Ideal. We are in the first epistle of John. John, one, they call it one John. And we are in chapter two, looking at verses one and two. So if you found your place there, let me read aloud those two verses. If you want to follow along silently, please. John writes, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So we've been making our way through this incredible epistle, letter. And as we study through chapter 1, the Apostle John has been describing to us the real life. A life that was revealed to him and the other's disciples through their fellowship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know, as Jesus walked through the earth, he connected with humanity, and he manifested the Father to all who would listen to him. He manifested the Father's love to all who would believe in him. And as he walked, he spoke of heaven using parables, using earthly circumstances, and using characters that anyone who was listening, could relate to. And this is what I like about the chosen. They're doing the same thing. They're using real live people. These people who we study in the Bible, Peter and James and John and Mary, and of course Jesus and Nicodemus, they were real people. They had emotions and they had feelings. And as they related to Jesus, Jesus demonstrated and manifested the Father to them so that they might believe. It's interesting that one commentator said this, quote, They were like antidotes, chronicles, and narratives that became like soul food to everyone Jesus met, unquote. I like that. I really do. See, this is how God chose to manifest himself to mankind. God knows that when we are most hungry for spiritual things, 
He knows there are certain things that will draw our attention. He knows that the themes of heaven, the themes of grace, the themes of forgiveness, like holy water on our skin, like a sweet sound of a symphony to our ear. He knows that sacrifice and redemption and reconciliation and resurrection resonate in our hearts. He knows that. So God sent to earth his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Sent him with a job, and that was to manifest the Father's love. To manifest the Father's love to mankind so that the world through him might be saved. John said that he and the other disciples, they were witnesses. We were witnesses of this life that was manifested. John testifies to us that they saw this life. It was revealed to them. They experienced it and they shared it one to another. And John knows all too well the value of sharing this real life. So he desperately wants his spiritual children to whom he's writing this letter. And the Holy Spirit desperately wants us as well to enjoy this same fellowship. To enjoy this fellowship one to another, but really we're fellowshipping with God the Father and Jesus Christ. That's where true fellowship is. That's where the real life is. And in that real life, John said, is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy exists in that real life. But as we studied last week or last time, we were together in this book. John said there's a major roadblock that hinders that fellowship. There's a major roadblock that hinders our fellowship with God. He declared that this was the message that they had heard from Jesus from the beginning. This is the message now that John wants to portray to us and declare to us. The roadblock, sin. And last time we looked at it, we said that sin was the enemy within. The enemy within. Sin was the old nature, the old man, the flesh. Sin was that which was holding us down and hindering our relationship with God. Why is this a roadblock, you might ask? Well, we're told throughout the Bible how God feels about sin. In a simple word, he hates it. Quite simple. Why does he hate sin? Well, first of all, it's the antithesis of who he is. In other words, it's the direct opposite of his nature. God is a holy God. And I love how David in Psalm 5 describes this. In Psalm 5, verse 4, David says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. God hates sin because he is holy. And his holiness is one of his most exalted attributes. And we read in the Bible that God has an attitude towards sin. What's his attitude towards sin? One of hostility. One of disgust. One of utter dislike. And look what the Bible says about this sin. Isaiah. Sin is described as a Putrefying sore. Psalm 38. Sin is described as a heavy burden. Paul, writing to Titus and to Corinthians, says that sin is a defiling filth. Jesus himself called sin a binding debt. And then once again, Isaiah said, sin is a scarlet stain. John, we read last week, refers to sin as darkness. He refers to sin as darkness, saying, if you walk in darkness, the truth is not in you. Instead, you deceive yourself. 
When you walk in darkness thinking you're walking in the light, you deceive yourself and the truth isn't in you. God hates sin because the subtle deceitfulness entices us. It entices us to focus on the worldly pleasures instead of partaking of his eternal wonders. When we pursue sin, we turn our back on the gifts of God. Sin becomes more important than the gifts of God. When we do this, we lessen God's love for us. That's what sin does. It lessens our love for God. God's hatred of sin implies that he loves his people so much and he wants to bless us. But sin binds us from the truth, blinds us terribly. Jesus called the false teachers blind guides, blind leading you blind. You strain a gnat, but you swallow a camel in Matthew 23. And God hates sin for the same reason that light hates darkness and truth hates a lie. Sin gets in the way of everything that God wants to do for us. God hates sin because it eventually enslaves us, eventually destroys us. It leads us into spiritual blindness and bondage. But I really think that the main reason God hates sin is because it separates us from him. Sin separates us from him. And Isaiah wrote about this in chapter 59, verse 2. Talking about the nation of Israel, Isaiah writes, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that you will not hear. It was sin that caused Adam and Eve to hide from God. It was sin that broke fellowship when God used to visit them in the cool of the day, and they would walk together. And once they sinned, they hid themselves for God. And you hear God's voice as he cries out, Adam, where are you? Not that God didn't know where Adam was, But he was crying out like, where are you, Adam? Knowing that they had sinned and they were hiding from God. Sin always brings separation from God. The fact that God hates sin means that he hates being separated from us. He hates being separated from your children. Not about you, but my children live far away. We have one that lives in Westchester, one that lives in Texas, and one that lives in Colorado. And I ache for them because we're separated. We can't see them on a regular basis. So imagine how God feels about you. And his love for you when sin separates us from him. God's love demands restoration. And that demands holiness. God is the source of real life. And he will extend that life eternally to all who believe upon his son for salvation. But sin is a barrier. It keeps us from receiving the real life. So what then is God's ideal plan? What is God's divine ideal? What is it? Simple. Love God, hate sin. So then, God's divine ideal is that we do not sin. And John declares that this is one of the reasons he wrote his letter. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. This is God's desire, that we do not sin. Being born again, we have received the spiritual resources that we need not to sin. They've been given to us in Christ Jesus. And this is what Peter is saying in his second epistle. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let me read to you two down. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by the glory and virtue, by which we have been giving to us exceedingly great and precious promises, 
that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Jesus did that on the cross. Jesus did that on the cross. So we have this beautiful thing. It's God's desire that we do not sin. What John is saying here is that we no longer have to sin. He gave us the victory back in verse 7. Walk in the light. And since God is in the light and he is the light, and there's no darkness in him at all, we must walk in that light. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Simple as that. We're lying. But if we walk in the light with him, we have fellowship one to another, and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us. This is good news. See, walking in the light is the real life. If you're walking in darkness, you are not being real. It is not the real life. It is a fantasy. So you have to ask yourself, is this the real life or is it fantasy? Are you caught in a landslide or do you escape from reality? Walking in darkness is escaping from reality, folks. When you walk in darkness, you are escaping from the reality of the true life in Jesus Christ, the real life that he has come to give you. It's an escape from that real life, and you are deceiving yourself. Walking in the light, on the other hand, what does that entail? Well, it involves honesty. It involves obedience. It involves love. We're to walk into the example given to us by Jesus himself. He is the example that John is trying to follow. He is the example that he's trying to get us to follow also. Follow us. Fellowship with us. Why? Because we're fellowshipping with him. And that's the example that John is giving us. And that's what he wants us to know. John says, I write this so you may not sin. He is saying that we are no longer slaves to sin. We now have a choice. Before we accepted Jesus Christ into our lives, sin was our taskmaster. We didn't have a choice. That's what we did. That's who we were. Sin was our life. To not sin is the divine ideal. But sadly, the bad news is no one attains this. The Apostle Paul explained it in Romans. There is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. John is writing this letter in the hopes that you recognize that you, the believer, have been given the power over sin through Jesus Christ. The power to say no. The power to take the escape that God gives to you when a temptation comes along. How does this power come? It comes by walking in the light, abiding in Jesus Christ, and by the power given to you by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. I love the fact that John calls us little children. Here is this probably 90-year-old guy in Ephesus now, writing, and he calls little children. Why does he call us little children? Maybe because we act like babies. Maybe because he's calling us now, children, grow up. Come on. You don't have to sin. It's a tender call, but it's a stern warning. He warns us of the dangers of not walking in the light. The dangers of saying, I'm walking in the light when you're really not. I'm walking in the light and I'm trying to impress you by telling you I'm walking in the light. Even though my life looks like snot, I'm still walking in the light. Aren't I a great Christian? You think I'm cool, don't you? I'm walking in the light. Ha <laughs> ha. Got you fooled. Yeah, right. You can fool me all the time you want. He says, if we say we don't sin, we're a liar. And the truth is not in us. John says, you need to learn this. And the sooner, the better. This is difficult in light of our old nature, the old man. We hate sin, but we seem to fall. 
The Apostle Paul, things I want to do, I never do. The things I don't want to do, I do all the time. John knows our frailness. He knows our weakness. He knows our weakness is a flesh. Remember, John's a human being, all human. And he knows that we will fall from time to time. So he wants to encourage us. He wants to give us the encouragement. So he doesn't stop by saying, you don't need to sin. He throws the good news at you. And here comes the good news, folks. Open your ear. Or as my biology used to say, hold on tight. We're going around a corner. Here comes good information. Look at the second part of verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you do not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. Praise God. John has already told us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He also said, say we don't sin, we make God a liar. So to be clear, John is not saying here that we never sin. He is not saying that. He says, if you sin, really in my case, it's when I sin. Remember, the enemy that is within, the weakness of my flesh. Remember Jesus? Can't you pray with me for one hour? Can't you just stay there and pray for one hour? Oh, the spirit is so willing, but the flesh is so weak. Our flesh is always against our spirit. Always. Enmity. And is never willing to rely on Jesus Christ for the victory. God's divine ideal is that we don't sin. But knowing us the way God knows us, loving us unconditionally, he knows that we are going to fail. He knows that our flesh will get the better of us from time to time. But he's made a provision for us, an advocate. Well, who is an advocate? Well, an advocate is a lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's a counselor. His name, Jesus Christ the righteous. The one thing that never shocks God is when we sin. He's never shocked. We're pretty shocked. I can't believe I did this crazy thing. God's never shocked. Christ is our advocate, and he represents us before God when we sin. He represents us before God. He's representing each of you right now before the throne room of God, standing there. Anybody know the Greek word for advocate? Are you ready? Parakletos. Heard that word before? Holy Spirit, comforter, exactly. Same word. Same exact word. It's the word that used for the comforter, the one who comes alongside, the counselor, the one that will lead us into all truth. When we sin, we're not abandoned, praise God. We're not left to our flesh, nor are we kicked out of the family. Thank the Lord for that. We have an advocate, one who stands before God on our behalf. He says, if we confess our sins, and somebody said, why should we confess our sins? Because we're guilty. Because we're guilty. There's... No false evidence. We don't need it. We're guilty. Interesting thing about Jesus Christ is he doesn't declare us not guilty. He declares us guilty. We are guilty because we're sinners. But an advocate is an intercessor. He intercedes for you. And the one who is representing you, the one who stands there on your behalf and pleads your case and your cause is Jesus Christ. If we sin, we have Jesus up there as our advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. Why? Because he is able to do that. In Hebrews 7, verse 25, we read this. 
Therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The beautiful treatise of Romans, in Romans 8.34, Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? What did Paul tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5? In 1 Timothy 2.5, the Apostle Paul says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So when we sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate who stands before God in our place. He represents us to God. He is the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Now, I know you're all familiar with Job. You're all familiar with Job and his troubles. He was having all kinds of problems and his friends gathered around him and they had great counsel for him. And one of their counsels was just get right with God and everything's going to be okay. Just get right with God. Come on, you can do it. And Job looked around and said, wait a minute. Do you see the stars in the sky? Do you see this beautiful creation? Do you see everything around you? Do you see this vastness? I'm nothing compared to all this. I am absolutely nothing. How can I ever approach a God who created all this on my own and plead my case? He's so vast that I'm so nothing. The gap between us is too great. There's too big of a gap. How can the infinite reach the finite? It's impossible. Man has been trying to do this for centuries. In fact, the Tower of Babel was built for this very reason. In Genesis 11, they built the Tower of Babel so they could reach God. The Tower of Babel is like religion. Man's attempt to reach God. Man's attempt to reach in that gap. The infinite reaching up to the finite. That's religion. That's religion. But what did God do? God had a better problem. Infinite came down to the finite. Doesn't take much. He came down. Because when you start with a finite base, trying to reach the infinite, it's impossible. The finite can never reach the infinite. No matter how hard you stretch and how hard you try. And this is why we bang our heads against the wall in religion. Because they have all these rules. If you want to get to heaven, you got to do this, 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 this. you got to climb this ladder, do all this thing. It's impossible. Because the base is finite. The base is earth trying to get to heaven. But Christianity starts with the divine. It starts with a heavenly base. It's a heavenly base. God instigated for God so loved the world. He reached down. The infinite God reached down to touch finite man. He can do that because he's God. He's the creator of the universe. And so starting from that base, God reaching down, we have success and contact be made. He reached down from heaven through a man by the name of Jesus Christ. This man was with God in the beginning. He was God. That which was from the beginning, that which we've seen, which we've looked upon, which we've heard, which we've touched, was manifested. You are sure. You've been listening to a teaching from the book of 1 John with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Does your heart tend to ride the turbulent waves of the circumstances you find yourself in? 
or you more of that calm, steady sea that's fairly even and consistent? Well, in this book, John wrote to his readers to grow in their zeal and love for God while refuting those who were teaching false things. There is a steadiness that's encouraged, despite the waves of emotion and turmoil that you may face. Having that steadfast focus on God and His promise of eternal life is what can help your heart be at peace and be calm. If you missed any part of today's teaching or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about what you heard. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. In addition to that, you're welcome to email us at info at capewatchradio.com with any questions, concerns, or prayer requests. Would you rather talk to us in person? Then think about joining us this Sunday for a time of God's Word at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. All you need to know is our website, assurehoperadio.com. Thank you again for taking time to learn from the book of 1 John today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.